Okay, I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Saviour, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Thank you so much, Joy. It's good to be here first Sunday of Advent. Um, I don't know how you count down Christmas. Uh, I don't know if you're someone that has kind of been counting down, like with the shop since the end of August, buying your mince pies in, uh, buying your Christmas crackers, all that kind of stuff. Maybe, like me, being down the German market, feeling, man, this is good. Um, or maybe you're like me, as I used to be, and my wife, if she was here, she comes in the afternoon meeting, but if she was here, she'd go, now tell the truth, Adrian, how do you really do Christmas? Well, how I do kind of Christmas, trying to break the habit, is it all starts on 24th of December, uh, with a mad dash to the shops, uh, purchase as many bargains, because they all start to reduce their prices, gather it all in, start to kind of get into the holiday spirit by the end of the day, start to be a bit nicer, Adrian, oh, it's Christmas coming, get to Christmas Day, oh yeah, it's Jesus, isn't it? And then let's open presents. Advent offers us a different invitation, one that I'm trying to take hold of increasingly within my life, of not seeing it simply as just a countdown to Christmas Day, but rather something much different, something bigger, something that does us good, something that I hope we're going to see is everything that we've celebrated already in respect to our gathered worship moment. Uh, and if you like, I'd say it's an invitation 
Advent. It's an invitation for a few things of three words that we use a lot to kind of live our lives uh, with as a company, as a family, uh, as a church. And that is the pause center continue. See, what Advent does is it invites us to pause within our day-to-day lives. And within that pause to center, to center on, I think, three particular things. Firstly, to center through considering the reality of the world around us. We're not to be those that feel disconnected to everything that's going on at the moment in our planet, the things that are going on in our neighbors' lives, the things that are going on in our city, in our nation and the nations. And Advent calls us to live and remember that reality. It also calls us to not only consider, but to remember the wonder of Jesus coming to earth. That that's what we're looking forward to on that 25th of December is we're, we're working towards that moment of celebration, not pretending, is he, isn't he going to come? No, no, we know he's coming. We know we're going to celebrate that fact because he has come. And we get to remember the wonder of God coming to earth as a human in Jesus Christ. And in that, though, it isn't just that we get to remember that. It's also that we get to reflect, reflect on the deep hope that we have That just as Jesus has come, Jesus will come back. That he will return. And that when he returns, he's coming with one mission and one mission only. And that is to reveal the fullness of who he is. In order that will fill the fullness of everything that we see around us. Of the earth and the cosmos. That will be filled with his love, kindness, justice, righteousness and goodness. And that's what Advent's about. It's about centering, considering, remembering, reflecting. In order that having paused and centered, we then continue. Continue to live lives that are shaped within the world we're in, with that tension of understanding, we're in that gap, that Jesus has come and Jesus will come. And therefore, when we look at the world around us, we can sometimes think, man, what's going on? But Advent affords us a moment of saying, Jesus, you came in order that all would be restored. And therefore, we know that we're living in this tension point of that you are to come, which is why it's so good within our worship that we can't help in seeing more of who Jesus is and recognizing all that's going on around us to say, Jesus, come and build more of who you are in the world around us. Or to use the words of the songs that we've been using, come and reveal more of your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so if you like, that's what we're going to get to look at over these coming three weeks. And we're going to look today, next Sunday, and the Sunday afterwards around this area of Advent, allowing us these moments to pause, center, continue. And we're going to do it through looking at our theme for the year, which is home. And so we're going to look at the whole aspect of uh, Advent of home, or home of Advent. And in it, what we're going to discover as we look at this, and this theme that we've been looking at since the very beginning of this year is we're going to see that there is a home needed, there is a welcome home, and there is a home coming. And so over these coming three weeks, I'd encourage us to be connected in. Maybe do try and be there for each three weeks. Or if you can't, definitely listen online to what's going on, because it is a three-week package. It isn't just, oh, we've got it in one week, let's move on. No, no. The point of this is it does us good in this season. I think it's so important that we live with different rhythms throughout our year, and this rhythm of Advent will do us good. So today I want to jump straight into home needed, and we're going to look at the first five verses of Luke that Joy uh, beautifully read out. 
And in it, we're going to look each week, actually, at this passage and see how this story of our need for home, a welcome home, and a homecoming is revealed through it. But I want us to start, therefore, with home needed, where we start where Luke wants us to see the whole setting of God coming to earth is revealed in Luke 2, 1 to 5. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who is now expecting a child. And that child, we're going to go and see, is Jesus. Luke wants us to understand a historical setting, a geography setting in this moment. So he suddenly places it in the kind of Greco-Roman world within this odd bunch of people, the Jews, Israel, that were God's chosen people to be a blessing to all people. He says, into that people is one coming. But it's part, and it's going to impact the whole of the world, the whole of the known world at that point, Greco, Roman, and Jew. That's what they saw it as. And he's saying, that what this is going on, this birth that's about to happen, has consequences, impact for the entire world. But in it, he also wants us to understand that when God comes into the world, it isn't how you may think it's going to be. You might think it's going to be this triumphant moment a kind of taking of the palace or the temple. Whereas actually it's in a backwater. A backwater in that day and age of no one would have anyone thought of anything happening significant in the kind of Middle East in this tiny moment here. And yet Luke is drawing our attention to that to say, hey, this is who God is. God is one who's coming into the world at a point of needing home. You see that, that Jesus is coming in, and he has no home. He's with his mum and his dad, literally in his mum. And at this moment, his earthly father, his mother, are trying to find a place to call home. They've been separated from their home. And having been separated from their home by the foreign power of that day, they need to go to a place where they have no home. And in that place of restlessness, they're trying to figure out what do we do now as it lingers and gets closer to Mary giving birth. And think about that for a moment. You may know someone who's about to give birth. Imagine in that moment saying, hey, you haven't got anywhere to live. You're thinking, man, I've got enough to deal with. And at this moment, that's the way God comes into the earth. Of this need of home, a place where it could be safe and rested, and yet God comes in in the exact opposite. Why? Because Luke wants us to understand that God coming in and revealing the need of home points to a bigger story of him identifying with all of our stories, a story, a narrative that's there of the whole of humanity. A bigger story that's revealed at the very beginning of the book, Genesis, which we looked at at the beginning of this year in The Origins of Home. We looked at Genesis 1 to 3, where we see that God creates the planet to be a home for us as humanity, where we belong with him and know him. And he fills it with goodness and says, actually, this is to do you good, and I will do you good. 
So we find in Genesis 2.25 that Adam and his wife, humanity, were both naked and they felt no shame. In other words, they were fully known and knew that they were good enough in the very core of their being. Just a quick aside. But it's interesting, isn't it, that third week in a row, we have that story of the lady who is bleeding, reaching to touch Jesus. Why does that story keep coming up? Is it that people keep forgetting, oh, we shared that last week, you know, we've done that one. You know, why do we keep bringing that one up again, you know? I think we've got it. Well, maybe it's not because of that. Maybe it's because God wants us to get hold of it. Maybe there's something in that story that God wants you and I to get hold of. Because as Sarah pointed out today, it's about a lady who comes full of shame and leaves fully accepted and loved. Our story, our origin is one where we knew that we were fully loved and fully accepted. Maybe today that's the thing that God's trying to put his finger on for you. That you're living just believing that you're just not good enough. That you're wrong. And that what God wants you to see is actually, no, no, you're someone who is to live knowing you're fully loved and accepted. See, our story started in a home where we knew that we were loved and accepted. That was filled with goodness. That we get, got to live within the goodness of everything God had created. But as we saw at the beginning of this year, that it didn't take long for that to break, for home to break. And that home breaks as humanity curves in on itself and decides, actually, maybe we know better. Maybe there's a a good that we could live in light of that's of our own making rather than God's. And in it, they're enticed by this power that's seeking to usurp God of his authority, seeking to be equal to God. And we're introduced in the very beginning of the book, and it's this story and a narrative that, as Westerners, we can look on and say, really? But it's like a story that's there to say, hey, you want to make sense of the world? This is it. There's this power that's seeking to destroy, that's seeking to break what God creates because they want to be equal to God. Never going to be equal, but they want to be. And this power, this authority is given a name at the beginning, and it's the devil, it's Satan, and it kind of keeps tracing through. And we can look on the Western mind and say, really? Evil? But the story we're told is there that is there to entice in order that humanity would say, maybe God hasn't got our best in sight. Maybe we know better. Maybe that power knows better. And what happens is that as humanity curve in on themselves and reject God and seek to allow themselves to be led by this other power, it breaks everything. It causes humanity to become slaves to their own will and slaves to this power, this authority that is anti-everything good that God stands for and is seeking to enslave and destroy. And then it causes home to get broken. So that we get to the end of Genesis 3.23 and probably kind of the hardest verse to read where it says, so the Lord God banished him then from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. The consequences of humanity living outside of what God had designed for their good and flourishing was that he allows them to go the way they want to go. 
But the consequences of that is they can't be in the home that he had created. And that causes them to live in separation. Separation from the goodness of what God had created. Separation from the relationship that they were meant to enjoy with God. Separation in how they then start to relate together and the whole of humanity. But also restlessness. They just need to keep working. Working at trying to provide for themselves and it never quite being good enough. And that's the story we're offered. We're offered this story at the beginning of Jesus coming into the earth, a story of homelessness, of separation, of restlessness. It's to point to a bigger story, a story that makes sense of the whole of humanity, of separation, of restlessness. And we can look at it and think, okay, but the reality is we can see it and we know it. And Advent calls us to not be blinkered and not to close our eyes to the world around and say, hey, holidays are coming, holidays are coming. But rather, to look and say, this isn't how it's meant to be. Let's just for a moment look for the last two weeks at several things that have been going on. First one, anxiety. The growing sense in the world we're living in, from the youngest to the oldest, of the growing, deepening, complexing power of anxiety over people's lives. My guess is there's some of us in this room that are struggling with this. Just wake up, maybe it's in the early hours of the morning. Maybe it's suddenly something happens during our day and we find it just consumes us. Maybe it's the general election, and that breeds anxiety, doesn't it? But you kind of find yourself, and you think, like, what, what are we to do with this? An increasing polarization of, are you with them, or are you with them? You can't with this, and actually, it's all about my rights, and how's this going to work, and what does it mean outside of this, and we're left confused. Food banks, they're amazing, aren't they? It's amazing that people get to have food who can't get food. But there's also part of me thinks, what's going on? We're living in a world where people in this nation have so much plenty, have to go to food banks. Last weekend, next one, The Guardian runs the photo. Last weekend on Saturday night, a big group of teenagers go to the cinema and in that moment, decide, actually, we are warring parties. And a fight breaks out. A riot ensues. And you think, what? Because it's like a tip of an iceberg that's like pointing at the moment to, in this nation, the increasing level of youth violence that's going on. At this point in time, it isn't that we point the finger and say, oh, those young people, bar humbug. No. It's like, Why? Like, how have we allowed this to happen? Bottom left-hand corner, BBC News, breaking news a few weeks ago now. Ramifications still being worked out. Picture of a lorry. And all of us know, probably in this room, inside of that little lorry was 39 people who'd lost their lives, seeking a better life in here, which became this tip of the iceberg again that reveals the desperation people will go to but also this ugliness of people trafficking. 
and those within the world at the moment that are living as refugees, just longing for a better life at any cost. In literally Friday, London Bridge, by this moment, I think, how? Like, what drives someone to suddenly out of nowhere start stabbing complete strangers? And yeah, there's amazing stories of people coming and, and trying to make a difference, but, but there's still part of this thing, but, but why? And in the backdrop that's continuing to go, which we just can't get our heads around, of Hong Kong, of this continuing warring parties of the government in power and students saying, we, it can't keep being like this. And it's complex. And I'm not trying to answer these questions. Rather, I'm saying, surely the narrative, the story, the bigger story that we see the Bible offers makes sense when we look at the world around us. Makes sense that we're living in a world where there is separation that is leading to destructive behavior that harms individuals and harms others. And is deeply revealing a restlessness. And at this point, maybe we're thinking, Adrian, this is heavy. Like, let's get back to holidays are coming. You know, Santa Claus driving a Coke van. But that's not real, is it? That isn't real life. Real life is this, and I find it painful. Because what it does is it causes me to look at the screen and not to kind of switch it off and say, I don't want anything to do with it. Let's hide in our nice little church building and celebrate that Jesus is coming. And it causes me to look and say, home is needed. Home is needed. This isn't how it's meant to be. And Advent invites us in to see that, to say that. Say this isn't how it's meant to be. Because in that point, as you start to realize that this isn't how it's meant to be, it causes us to realize that there is hope. Because as we face reality, it's then the invitation to realize that, that God is one who isn't there, kind of standing aloof, saying, well, let's just see how this goes down. But rather, the one who continuously, and the Christmas story promises this, reveals this, that comes into our story in order to invite us into his. That's the wonder of the good news we have. That's why it's so exciting in this series, in this moment, in this season, that we get to keep looking forward to the fact that Jesus came and will come back. Because it promises there is a different way. So in Luke 2, 4, it says, And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. Luke wants us to understand, you know, this is a big moment. Yeah, in an obscure place. But it's a big moment because God coming to earth, in this moment of needing home, being homeless, actually is being taken back into place, the village where kings are made. This is the king maker town village. And as one who's coming, who is homeless, is the most obscure moment of a king coming. Not a triumphant kind of display, but rather hidden, obscure, homeless, 
And yet this is how this king's going to be born. This is how this king comes into being. Because it's going to characterize his kingship. So you find Jesus comes, and he's one who's promised. So in Micah 5, 2, the prophet looking forward says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, however you say that, though you are small among the clans of Judah. <laughs> Man, you're thinking it. You're thinking, I could have read that. Fair enough. Um, small among the clans of Judah. Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. This prophet looking forward to say, hey, this insignificant town of Bethlehem, the kingmaker town where David came from, there's going to become one who's going to be born there, who's going to be the king promised from ancient times. What's those ancient times? I wonder if it's looking forward, if you look at the whole story, in that moment where everything goes wrong, where humanity decide outside of God, God banishes humanity and says, now you're going to live with a need for home. He also makes a promise and says, hey, but from you, the woman, there's going to be a seed. A seed that's going to deal with this power that's seeking to enslave you and going to bring you home. The king is coming. So you get here, the king, the king who's promised in this insignificant town. In order that we'd know that Jesus comes to what? To be the king who brings us home. The king who is home. See, that's amazing that Jesus comes as one who identifies with our need for home and yet becomes the home that we need. Like, comes and takes residence on the earth. The king is at home, but he is the home. That's like mind-blowing. So you find it as Jesus then lives out his life. He continuously reveals and speaks about the fact that he is one who's going to come and make home in our lives but also invites us to come and make home in his life. You know, in this series in John we're in, we're going to find these perplexing moments where he'll use things like vines and branches to describe it and say, hey, you're like a branch, like built into me, needing everything you need from me. But also he's going to say, hey, I'm going to come like with the Father and take residence in your heart and make it our home. Mind-blowing. Why? Because he's the king who came to be the home we always needed. He's also going to be the king who takes his throne in the most surprising way, that he's going to take his throne on a cross. The moment where we think it's his moment of utter defeat and weakness becomes his moment of enthronement and victory. In order on the cross, he would deal with our separation and our restlessness, deal with the power of the devil and all of his entourage in order that he could defeat it once and for all in order that he could bring us home through his resurrection, offering us a home, a home of what? A home of belonging instead of separation, and rest instead of restlessness, or peace instead of restlessness. That's why the angels just get carried away, they can't help it. And there's peace coming to everyone, because everyone's going to belong to God and know his peace, that word shalom, the wholeness that God is able to give. See, this king, who is our home, comes into our stories, into our planet, says, hey, I've come that there would be belonging and peace, where you see separation and restlessness. And Jesus coming to earth announced that forever. 
And the gap that we then live in of Jesus has come, Jesus will come, as we live in that tension, that he at this moment in time is revealing the wonder of what it means for him to bring us back home in him. As individuals, as companies of people, in order that we become outposts of what that home looks like, in order to offer to others that they would receive it as well. But know that we also then get to look forward to the fact that he will return. And when he returns, the king who is home will reveal the wonder of the home he has as king in his rule and reign that will fill the entire planet with his goodness, his love, his mercy, and his righteousness, which we'll get to look at in a couple of weeks' time. Therefore, we get to be a people who live in reality, who live in the reality of what's going on in the world around us, and get to that point of saying, home is needed. For because home is needed, we realize the one who comes to provide it, who is a king, who is Jesus. And therefore, we get to step in and stand in the gap and say, Jesus, come and reveal more of your home now on this earth. Or as he taught us to pray, reveal more of your kingdom that is to come in heaven on this earth now. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So therefore, this moment, this Advent moment, provides this moment to pause to pause and see the reality around us, but also see the wonder of who Jesus is and what he speaks and does into our reality. It then allows us to center, which means that we today, again, receive a fresh Jesus. I, I don't know where you're at at the moment. Maybe it's that point of saying, I just am living in shame and thinking I'm just not good enough. And it's allowing Jesus to peel that away and say, no, no, you belong to me. You're forever loved and accepted. What you need to be branded with isn't not good enough. It's eternally loved and delighted in. Or maybe it's that anxiety that's kind of continuously seeking to rob you, and it's allowing Jesus to come and say, I'm with you. It doesn't necessarily take it away overnight, but it's that leaning in and understanding more and more that Jesus offers you peace, which is a daily invitation of just coming to him saying, Jesus, I need more of your peace today, and I trust you. I trust you with everything that's going on. But then I think it causes us to then continue, to continue by saying, your kingdom come, surely. See, I don't want us to leave in a place of desperation, of kind of thinking, man, it is pretty dark though, isn't it? I don't want us to rather see it, no in darkness, light kind of becomes brighter. And we call and say, Jesus, come build more of your home here. I, I, I can't see any other way to respond. I feel it's the most fitting response. We were, we were starting to get there in terms of our gathered worship moment, but I feel like it's surely the place we end in this moment of saying, Jesus, thank you coming and becoming part of our story, Lord, that we can become part of yours.